Are you wandering in the wilderness? Or are you a voice in the wilderness? Welcome to the Revival Cry podcast. This is your host, Eric Miller. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The goal of this podcast is to encourage you to use the voice God has given you to make Jesus famous. Every week, we will share principles from the Word of God, interviews, and encouragement in order to strengthen your voice. Thank you for joining me today. And now here is today's podcast. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Revival Cry this week with Eric Miller. So thankful that you would choose to join us today. Praise God. I know there are a lot of things to talk about in Revival today, as it seems like the Spirit of God is moving in America, and it's spreading around the world. But before we get into that, I just would like to say thank you to all of those who listen every week, who pray for this time that we have together, and who support our ministry. Maybe you don't know so much about us, but I want to encourage you that we are a missionary family that lives in the Philippines, and we have been serving here for 20 years. We have church planning. We have a fire school of ministry that raises up indigenous Filipino leaders. And it's very exciting because we have seen many of them plant new works and lead other people to Jesus and make disciples. So it's wonderful when we see the Lord reproducing what it is that he called us to do initially, but then we see those we pour our lives into take it to the next level. If you're interested to find out more about our ministry. It's called Revival Cry, the same as this program, Revival Cry International. And you can go to our website, which is www.revivalcry.org. Go there today. You can listen to our podcast that I'm sharing today. Uh, at any time, there's links on how to download it. Of course, if you're here in Davao City and all the way to Zamboanga in the island of Mindanao, you can listen on Mango Radio to Revival Cry and also on YouTube where we have our Revival Cry channel. So praise God. Let's get into his word today. Amen. Well, today what I'd like to talk to you about is revival benefactors or revival intercessors. When my wife and I first went to the Pensacola Revival in 1998, it was April of that year, we went there and we were newly saved. We got right with God in the past year of that time. And we went there not knowing what to expect. We didn't really know what revival was. We didn't know what it looked like. We thought it was just a bunch of meetings with a nice speaker and good music for a few days at a local church. But revival is so much more than that. Revival is really like Leonard Ravenhill said, when God gets so sick and tired of being misrepresented, he just shows up himself. And it's just like in Pentecost, where God showed up, the scripture says in Acts chapter 2, that suddenly 
He came down in the upper room upon the disciples. And that's what revival is. It's when God comes down, when God steps out and comes among his people in a manifested presence, tangible way that there's no doubt about it, that the spirit and presence of God is among us. Now we know that God's presence is omnipresent, so he is literally everywhere. But sometimes in throughout history, especially in revivals, when people are praying and become desperate and become hungry, Jesus even said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. God wants to manifest his presence among us in a spectacular way that we often call revival. And so when we went to the Pensacola, or others call it the Brownsville Revival, we arrived, but the revival had already been going on for three years. They had services every day. Every Friday night, they were water baptizing people. I think like 30, 40, 50 plus people every Friday night. And this revival actually lasted for five years. We caught the last two years, but when we got there, we did not know what to expect. And yet people were being saved. Marriages were being renewed. You know, families were being restored. Prodigal sons and daughters were coming home. And people from many different nations were coming to inquire, what is God doing? At that time, you know, there was internet and there was email, but it wasn't used like it is nowadays. And, you know, everybody has their cell phone, their tablet, their computer, they can connect online and hear about what God is doing around the world. But at that time, you know, we had v, uh, VCR tapes, VHS tapes, you know, where, uh, you know, people would share these videotapes with each other and they would go around the world. And so people from other countries started to come. I remember being in meetings during the Brownsville revival and there was over a hundred different nations in one meeting, which was spectacular because this was not New York City. This was not Los Angeles or Dallas or Chicago or Miami, a big city in the U.S. This was Pensacola, just a small city in northwest Florida, the state of Florida, and God began to move in great power. And when we got there, you know, we really benefited from those who have been praying for revival, who have been, you know, stewarding this move of God and just kind of following the cloud, right? Being led by the Holy Spirit and what he wanted to do. We benefited from those who were inspired by God to partner with him as intercessors to help prepare the way for the glory of the Lord to come. We did not know what to expect but we got caught up in the presence and the glory of the Lord in such a spectacular way that there was no doubt in our minds that we were supposed to be there. You know, no revival in history takes place on accident. It always happens when God's people partner with him in prayer 
are consumed by his presence in their own prayer closets. As a church in their prayer meetings, they seek the Lord. And then God reveals himself in this manifested way and people hear about it and they say, we want to come. You know, Leonard Ravenhill also said that you don't have to advertise a fire. In other words, if the fire of God is truly burning in your heart or in your family or in your church, people are going to hear about it. You don't have to put posters up. You know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with advertising about a conference or inviting people to your church. I think that's fine. To me, evangelism is what we do until God pours out his spirit in revival. And then when the people get so revived, they want to evangelize even more. And so in evangelism, you know, we do those things. We tell people about what's going on. We invite them to meetings and gatherings and we have a meal with them. But in revival, God is revealing himself. And the fire of his presence is, is so real that people want more and want to know what really is taking place. All revivals are initiated by God. If you remember the tabernacle in the Old Testament that God instructed Moses to build, where they had the outer court, the inner court, and the most holy place, the fire that was above the altar was initiated by God. And that fire came down from heaven. And in Leviticus 6, God told the priests that the fire on the altar must never go out. It must continue to burn. They were to maintain the fire that God initiated. And so for you and me, maybe you've never been a part of a real corporate revival where God moves on many people and you come and you benefited from, from um, you know, those gatherings and from others pursuing and being desperate for God. I remember when the fire was uh, initiated in our hearts. And for over 25 years now, we've sought to maintain that flame with God by seeking his face each and every day, by being a people of his word and, and a people of prayer, a people of his presence, knowing that God walks with us each and every day. We want to walk in the, the fear of the Lord and we want to walk, walk in the love of the Father so that we can understand and say, God, I don't ever want another day without you. I, don't, I never want to go back to sin. You see, revival sets us free from sin. It, it sets us on fire and it's a, a time where the Lord, you know, really excels what he's doing in our heart and he's bringing us closer to his heart so that we could join with him and say, Lord, we want more of you. We're so hungry and thirsty. We want to reveal you to others. You know, oftentimes I've talked about Isaiah 6 where Isaiah the prophet sees the Lord high and lifted up and the holiness of the Lord reveals the sin in his own heart. God cleanses the sin in his life by touching his lips with a hot coal from the, the you know altar of heaven. And then God asks, who's going to go for us? 
as he's speaking to the host of heaven. And then Isaiah raises his hand and says, here I am, Lord, send me. There's this process that takes place in revival where God is accelerating what he's trying to do in our hearts to bring us to a place of new obedience with him. And as we walk in this new obedience, we recognize that now we want to maintain what we benefited from the prayers of others so that we can become intercessors in the kingdom of heaven and initiate new fires in the hearts of people and in the body of Christ overall. You know, in every revival, God chooses to partner with people in prayer. We know 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people which are called by my name, right, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. We know that God wants to partner with his church in prayer because when we agree with God, we're actually following the prayer that Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, our Father which is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So prayer is partnering with God and giving God a reason to pour out his spirit from heaven to earth so that we can see him transform lives and bring the change in our society and culture that we dream about. Amen. All revivals are sovereign moves of God. He must always receive all of the glory. So God, we love, you know, in the book of John, it says we love because he first loved us. So God is always the initiator. God is always the one who initiates revival, sustains revival, and then helps revival turn into transforming of other lives, missions, evangelism, disciple making, church planting, right? This is why revival is so important because if we don't experience personal revival and we don't experience corporate revival, oftentimes the culture around us in society that is cold to God, that is not seeking the Lord, will come to a place of deep need of real truth being expressed because without Jesus, friend, we are hopeless. We were made to be one with God and sin separates us from God. And when he restores that relationship to the Father, Jesus shed his blood so we could be restored to the Father. When that happens, then we become uh, caring and concerning about others beyond ourselves. This is what revival does, my friend. Again, whether it's personal revival or corporate revival you're experiencing, I just want you to know God wants you to experience it. And we can't blame our pastors and other people for not uh, starting this fire. The fire's already been started 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. But you and I are benefiting from other people who are praying, who are interceding, who are saying revival must continue around the world. And revival is what has continued to help the church to grow in the moves of obedience and, and different types of ways that we can impact the nations with the gospel. Praise God. You know, after we encountered the Lord's presence in Pensacola, 
God chained us, changed us from being revival benefactors to being revival intercessors. No longer do we just want to benefit, but we want to be intercessors everywhere we go. Didn't Jesus say, my house shall be called a house of prayer? And you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we should be a house of prayer, a traveling house of prayer. We should be initiating with God, partnering with God to initiate fresh fires of revival everywhere we go. You know, when when revival is really when God has full access to you and me in order to reveal himself to others. That's all it is. It's not about just a bunch of meetings. If we have a bunch of meetings and people get excited and crowds start coming, sure, that's a part of revival. But without people surrendering their will to God, there's no need to come together. It's purposeless. We are coming before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Holy One of Israel, and we are laying our lives out at his feet saying, do with us as you will. You shed your blood for us. You're the one who loves us. You're the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. And we want to give our lives for you in the name of Jesus. You know, many people have probably heard about the revival that's taking place at Asbury uh, University in the state of Kentucky right now. And it's just an organic move of the Spirit. It seems like people have been praying and crying out to God for revival. And the students have been exhorted by their leaders in the university. It's not even just a church building. It's a university. It's a Christian university. And God is pouring out his spirit there. And for about two weeks now, you have daily constant meetings, people crying out to God, worshiping the Lord, busloads of people are coming and getting in line and wanting to be a part of what the Lord is doing. Now, as exciting as that is, I think I'm even more excited to know that this fire is spreading to different Christian universities and, and nearby churches and people's lives are being changed and impacted around the United States. And many are tuning in from nations around the world say, what is God doing? And it happened suddenly. It happened quickly, just like on the day of Pentecost, right? Listen, friend, God, as much as we believe the scripture says that the times at the end of the age before Jesus returns are going to grow cold and things are going to get hard and challenging like that. I don't believe that God is going to be outdone by the devil. No, I believe that Jesus said he's coming back for a bride, a church that has made herself ready, that is glorious, that is beautiful, that has prepared the way in her own heart to say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. We want you to come. We are longing for you. We're seeking you. We are intercessors. We have been raised up for such a time as this. Some of you listening to me right now need to know that God has called you, that he's chosen you, that he's set you apart in this day and age, and he's sending revival fire to your heart because he's saying, will you pray? Will you come aside with me? Will you seek me? I'm hungry to meet with you. I have revelation to pour out to you through my word. I want you to hear my voice. Praise God. This is the Holy Spirit speaking to us, saying there's more 
my friend. There's more than what we're having and what we're experiencing. Praise God. Let me give you a little history on Asbury University. Now, this comes from uh, a friend named Lee Grady who wrote on his Facebook post a little context about the Asbury revival, which I found very interesting. So Asbury University is named after the Methodist leader, Francis Asbury, who lived 1745 through 1816. He was only 26 when he came to evangelize the East Coast, the colonies, of America. He became a leader in the Second Great Awakening, and it is estimated that he traveled 270,000 miles on horseback, <laughs> preaching and planting Methodist churches. He, But circuit riding is what they called it, wasn't as glamorous prior to 1847. More than half of the Methodist circuit riders died before the age of 30 because of animal attacks, uh, exposure to bad weather, and the hardships of travel. Their sacrifice was a seed that died in the ground, listen, and produced a massive spiritual harvest. So where did Francis Asbury get his encounter with God? Well, he benefited from hearing from the founder of the Methodist movement, which was John Wesley. And John Wesley mentored and discipled Francis Asbury as he did many others. And because of that, Francis Asbury benefited from that relationship and the encounters with God that he had. But then he became an intercessor. And like a seed falling to the ground and dying, he said, my life for the gospel. And he gave himself over to preaching revival fire throughout the Americas and in the, in the colonies. Francis Asbury's life was marked by white-hot spiritual passion. After being sent to the shores of America by John Wesley, Asbury wrote, we must reach every section of America, especially the raw frontiers, the places the gospel hasn't even been to at that time. We must not be afraid of men, devils, wild animals, or disease. Our motto must always be forward. Like a modern Joshua, Asbury possessed the land in spite of his frequent ailments. He never married, perhaps because he knew his sacrificial lifestyle would be difficult for his wife. He was so loved by the Christians that more than 20,000 people followed his coffin when he was buried in Virginia after his death at the age of 70. Listen to this. Asbury University is named after this giant of the faith. I think it's fitting that the revival that erupted in on the campus of Asbury University recently reminds us of Francis Asbury. I'm not listening to religious critics who are skeptical of the music being sung at the revival or worried about emotionalism or which translation of the Bible is being used, or which denominations are represented in the office, in the audience, I'm sorry. God, please forgive us for the cold, heartless Phariseeism 
that quenches the Holy Spirit. Francis Asbury would have been thrilled to see young people repenting and worshiping Jesus. May this holy fire spread throughout the world and may an army of young Francis Asbury's be sent out to claim the nations for Jesus. Listen, my friend. When we came to the Philippines, there were others who came before us in the Philippines. There are people who laid down their lives for the gospel. I remember Bill William Hyde, who died at the airport bombing in 2003 of March. It's actually going to be 20 years this March since he gave his life for the gospel. And listen, I'm telling you, my friend, that there are people who, who prepared the way for you and me. There were other Francis Asbury's who, who planted and watered seeds and cultivated the gospel in our hearts. And we were benefactors of it. But now it's time for you and I to turn into intercessors. Not just people who pray, but who make their lives as a prayer to God. And as the old Keith Green song says, make my life a prayer to you. Are you making your life as a prayer to God? Are you laying yourself down so that God can can pass the baton to you from somebody else who, who gave everything to follow Jesus? Look, I don't know what it has cost you to follow Jesus. Maybe you've never been persecuted or, or the persecution that you're experiencing is very small compared to someone being thrown in jail or being martyred for their faith. But the fact of the matter is this, my friend, is that there are people who laid their lives down that we benefited from because Jesus laid his life down for them and all of us. And this fire has, is needing to be maintained on the altar of our hearts. It must never go out. The fire that I'm sharing today, the passion, the zeal, the sense of the having a burning heart for God. Oh, my friend, are you burning for Jesus? Are you hungry for the more of the Lord? Uh, let me encourage you. If we're not seeing revival, then it's not normal. Because what's normal to God is the book of Acts. Book of Acts Christianity. That is what the church should look like. I'm not saying we just repeat everything. I'm not saying it looks exactly like it, but I'm saying that we see people that were set ablaze with the fires of Pentecost and they had cloven tongues of fire that came and rested and sat upon their heads in Acts chapter 2 and that fire on the altar of their heart never went out. And they said, we got to spread this gospel around the world. Aren't you thankful? I am so grateful for those that purposely took the gospel so that eventually Eric Miller in the state of New York could hear the gospel through a Presbyterian minister that was baptized in the Spirit. Listen, the Lord has brought us here to the Philippines. And if you're listening to me here in the Philippines, or you're in America, or you're in Europe, or you are in some other nation, I want to encourage you today that the Lord has you to hear my voice today, not to be drawn your attention to me, but to say that you are benefiting from hearing the word of the Lord being preached to you today. The word of God. There is a fire that God wants to beginning in your heart, my friend, and he wants you to learn how to maintain it, to not only be a benefactor, but become an intercessor. Listen, I believe 
that this first wave of revival outpouring in Asbury will benefit many who go there. And maybe you can or cannot go there. I have lots of friends who've already been there and says it's really spectacular. The presence of the Lord is so tangible and people are repenting publicly and there's so much humility and brokenness. But I don't believe this is the only desire that God has with this revival. I believe he desires his people to encounter him in different ways. Maybe at home. Maybe by visiting Asbury, receiving impartation from those who go there, being encouraged by testimonies you hear and see online. I don't know. But I know the Lord is thinking far beyond Asbury. In fact, he desires to spread his fire to your neighbors and to the nations through your life. Let me encourage you today from moving on from just being a revival benefactor into being a revival exporter, an intercessor of revival. As excited as I am that the Spirit of God is moving on Christian universities, I expect that. Because here's the fact of the matter, is that revival is for Christians. Christians who were alive but have slowly fallen away from the Lord and they're being revived by God to be alert to his reality again. Revival's not really for the lost, but the lost experience something called awakening. And awakening is for those who've never been alive in Christ at any time in, in their life. And so I want to encourage you. It's so necessary for the church to be on fire. Because if we're not, then those who are living in darkness will not see a great light. I believe God wants to send this revival in Asbury, not only to Christian universities and churches, but he wants to send awakening to universities around America and in the nations. I believe here in the Philippines, he wants to move at USEP. I believe he wants to move in Ateneo. I believe he wants to move in schools that maybe nobody knows about. But when he finds a hungry people, my friend, I believe it's going to be spectacular. Let me read you a couple of scriptures before we go today. Ezekiel 22 verse 30. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so I would not destroy it but I found no one in Matthew 6:10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Friend Let's be intercessors today. Yes, we want to benefit and we receive from our pastors, from our churches, but Jesus did not call us to be spectators or just benefactors. He called us to be sons and daughters, disciples, intercessors, revivalists. God bless you. Thank you for listening today. I look forward to being with you next week. Thank you for listening to Revival Cry with Eric Miller. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To find out more or partner with our missions work around the world, please visit us at revivalcry.org. I look forward to being with you next week.